Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord of Lords, as we look to your coming as the King of Kings, we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon so that we remain ever vigilant for your return and not weighed down by the worries of our daily life. In your name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're approaching Casper from the right angle, looking in the distance, you can see Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain, but they look like the same mountain. It's not until you get close that you can tell they're two different mountains. Well, that's what Old Testament prophecy was like about the coming Savior. Lots of times what was two separate events and often many in between the birth of our Savior and and his death and resurrection and his final return as King of Kings, they all seem like one event. It's not until we get closer and we are closer. We're in the New Testament era that we see these different events as separate like Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain. And so it is, brothers and sisters in Christ that the Old Testament believers look to that birth of Christ and that return of Christ with joy. But today, when we hear those words of Christ's return, there's strong law for for unbelievers, but we should actually look forward to it as believers. We should rejoice in it the way we look forward to Christmas Day coming when we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And so today in our sermon, we will see the advent of our King is not shaking like a leaf on a tree, but rejoicing in the budding of spring. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. To remind you of that account, I will read the first three verses. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth nations will be in anguish, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the surging waves, people fainting from fear and expectation of the things coming on the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This is the gospel of our Lord. Scary, isn't it, brothers and sisters in Christ? We're in that time where you could say it's like we're between Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain. What they saw, the Old Testament believers saw at a distance, we've seen most of the fulfillment. We're just waiting for Christ to return. And doesn't that sound scary? The signs in the sun and the moon and the stars? Imagine seeing stars just falling from the sky. Imagine seeing the moon and doing things like on earth, what would be earthquakes and stuff, but seeing them with your eye and and, and the sun. Wow. We live in a time today where our media alarmism sells and they love to keep us scared. So they overplay things. and, and, And when something, a natural catastrophe happens, boy, they just play it over and over and over again. In fact, I often joke, you know, it's a sad news day when you can turn it on and all the news is about a cat stuck in a tree and they'll make it sound like the worst thing that's ever happened. So imagine what it's going to be like when they actually see these signs. Terrifying. And the truth of the matter is, as he spells out these things happening on the earth, roaring of the sea, raging waves. Well, if a tidal wave or a tsunami is coming and it hits a town or a city, Guess what? God's not going to say, well, that one's a believer's house. We'll make that go around. Believers are going to be hit by these natural catastrophes or what appears to be natural with supernatural force just as much as the unbelievers will be. In fact, 
Jesus says in verse 26, while men are fainting from fear and expectation of what is coming upon the inhabited earth, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Men are going to faint. Oh, I see it coming. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the interesting thing is I'm using that analogy of Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain. This text in its own context happens on Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus' crucifixion and death on Good Friday is just a few days away. But one of the disciples there at the temple says, look at the temple, isn't it beautiful? And Jesus gives a prophecy about the destruction of the temple. That'll happen in 77 A.D. And it too, like viewing Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain at a distance, he intersparses with it his return and the last day. So some of these things were already happening. They're already happening now. But on the last day, it's going to really crank the volume up. And what's it culminate in? Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. The world doesn't see Christ's glory on Good Friday as he hangs naked on the cross. The kind of glory they wanted to see in order to know he's their Savior, they're going to see on that last day. And it's going to scare them. Power and great glory. But it's different for you and I. You and I are believers. That's our king. We've already seen his power and great glory because in his power, he has done the impossible. He's worked a miracle in you. He's given you faith. And so Jesus says, now when these things are beginning to happen, stand tall and lift up your heads because your release or redemption is drawing near. You will be able, even if a tsunami hits your house, here in Wyoming, that'd be quite an amazing thing, right? Even if, even if a really powerful wind coming along as one of these signs rips your house right off its foundations, you'll be able to stand up and look up. Yes, He's coming! Because He's given you faith. And what it should be terrifying to you, because He's given you faith, You will look forward to it. Now, I find it interesting because Jesus' words literally in verse 28 are because your redemption is drawing near. But Jesus redeemed you 2,000 years ago by his death and resurrection from the cross. That word for redemption literally means to buy out of slavery. He paid the debt of your sins and freed you. So how can he say that your redemption isn't until the day he returns? I want to assure you, by your God-giving faith, you are redeemed, your sins are forgiven, you wear the righteous robes of Christ. But he didn't just free you to live in this sinful world and be forgiven. Ultimately, the full amount of your freedom comes when he returns because he's going to give you the new heavens and the new earth. That's really why they're falling apart. He's about to destroy them and make them new, free of sin. And he's going to take your sinful nature and rip that bad guy away and throw him away. They're done with that. It's discarded. And you will live never having to fight against sin, never losing the battle for sin, never needing forgiveness again. So you'll receive the fullness of your freedom. He redeemed you Not to once again be slaves to sin, death, and the ways of this world and your sinful nature. He redeemed you to make you a prince and princess in his eternal, glorious kingdom. And you will have the fullness of that. So when these things are happening, if they start happening tomorrow, you'll be able to lift up your head. Wow, I just lost my house, Lord! Awesome! 
because I'm about to go to your heavenly mansion. This is it. So explain that. He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves because you are already seeing it from your own selves, you know the summer's already near. So also when you yourself see these things happening, then you are knowing that the kingdom of God is near. And it's interesting, the Greek verb he uses for knowing is one of experience. I've been there, I've done that, so now I know it. We get this in Wyoming. Winter wind comes along, <laughs> rips them leaves right off of those trees, right? And we get snow even in June sometimes. But there's a relief when you start to see those green buds forming on the trees again. Ah, oh, man, the 88 mile an hour winds are about to come to the end. Unless you're mean, then you have to water your lawn every day to keep it from drying. And go, oh man, stop shoveling snow and start watering lawn. No, this is rejoicing for us. These things for us are just signs. Yes, it's just around the corner. Come, Lord Jesus. So we see that the advent of our king is not shaking like a leaf on a tree. That's what the unbelievers do. That's what those who are worried about their, have they been good enough? Not those who have the faith to say Christ was good enough for me. So it's rejoicing in the budding of spring. He's about to come. I'm about to get the fullness of being a prince and a princess in his kingdom. So the things that terrify unbelievers are actually signs for you, believers, that Christ is coming. We'll rejoice in these signs. So Jesus says in verse 32, Truth I am telling you, this generation will never pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. I have many commentaries on different books of the Bible and the original inspired language and stuff, every one of them spills a lot of ink over that word generation. What does Jesus mean by generation? Again, using the Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain analogy. If you understand the generation he's talking to as the apostles, and again, looking at this text in its wider context where he's just talked about the destruction of the temple, they would see that destroyed. They would see these things, especially the Apostle John, who lives to be a hundred years old. That generation didn't pass away without seeing those. But a lot of people go, what does generation mean here? And, and it's really actually very simple. Because in the Bible, if you look at this from God's viewpoint, there's only three uh, or four times. There was the time in which God created Adam and Eve, and they were perfect. That lasted just a little over a week probably. It doesn't seem like it was years before the devil came along and tempted them and they fell into sin. God gave them faith in a coming Messiah after promising them a Savior. And from that time on, people looked forward to the birth of our Savior. That would be a generation. You and I call that the Old Testament era. And in English, that would be better translated as era. But Christ has come. So now we're in the New Testament era. And that era ends when Christ returns as King of Kings, ushering in the final era, which lasts forever. That's the time when all those who believed in him live in all eternity in his glorious kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth with glorified bodies. So really the first fulfillment is the disciples would see these things in a lesser context. But these things are going to happen right up until Christ returns. In fact, after the apostles, every generation has thought they were it. Now, for example, Thessalonians makes it clear that Christ is not returned until the man of lawlessness, another term for him is the Antichrist, is revealed. And that happened in the Reformation. 
So Luther and his contemporaries thought, we're it. We're this generation. And they fit the signs pretty well. They died and the next generation fit it better. They died and the next generation fit it better. And here we are. Boy, we really fit the signs at the end of times, don't we? What I'm getting at is, a lot of these signs, they're going to be seen in every generation. Famines, floods, earthquakes, plagues, all these things are going to happen over and over again. That last generation, we're going to really crank it up, right? And when that happens, it's it. There's not another chance. There's not a rapture. There's not a millennium. This is it. When Christ returns, it's ushering in the new age. So there will be terrors right up until the end. And they remind us of something, brothers and sisters in Christ. Every time Wyoming gets those winds and it rips the roofs off of houses and stuff, it reminds us. This world was subject to decay. Don't get attached to it. When there's earthquakes and famines and tsunamis and hurricanes and forest fires, God is telling the unbeliever, seek me while I may be found. I'm trying to let you know that this world is not where it's at. And he's telling the believers, don't get attached to this world. It's a message that comes over and over again. But at the end here, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, and the Greek language says this very strongly, my words will never, ever pass away. That's his comfort to you. Because God's word, that's, that's the law, but that's the gospel. That's the good news that Christ has done all the work for your salvation. When you read things in scripture, you should see those as God's promise to you. The promise that he has redeemed you. The promise that he has, has made you a prince and princess in his kingdom. The promise that your sins are forgiven. The promise that he's going to give you the new heavens and the new earth. That's never going to pass away. Your body may rot in the grave. Your house may be destroyed, but God's promises to you, your salvation, it's never, ever going to go away. He's not going to let somebody thousands of years into eternity, which won't be measured by years anyways, he's not going to rip that away from you. The devil's never going to get a sucker punch in and suddenly win. Not going to happen. That's a comfort. Because in our own lives, we don't need to worry about external things. Our own bodies are subject to decay. They ache. They get diseases. They wear out. You can say, that's all right. God's telling me this body isn't where it's at either. He'll provide for this until he calls me to heaven, but he's going to give me a new and glorified body. So we see the advent of our king is not shaking like a leaf on a tree, but rejoicing in the budding of spring. The things that terrify unbelievers are signs for believers that Christ is coming, and there will be tears right up to the end in our own lives and everything in every generation. But the word remains forever. The faith God has given to you is God telling you, trust my promises, and you do, and his promises will not let you down. So he says in verse 34, yet keep on watching for yourselves so that your hearts do not become weighed down in a hangover, drunkenness, and the worries of daily lives. And so that sudden day does not overtake you guys. Now, he says this in reverse. Literally in the Greek, it's a hangover. Then, and then he lists drunkenness, and then he, wor he mentions the worries of daily life because Jesus is focusing on the last day. But let's work those in reverse. He's not actually talking about drinking alcohol. The worries of daily life. And let's admit it. Sometimes when we're worrying about how we're going to pay the bills and all the things are going on, the wind's ripping the roof off the house and the cars are breaking down, we want to drink a little alcohol, help numb that anxiety because our brains were designed, they were designed to protect us and that causes anxiety. 
What Jesus is saying is when these things are going on, we can worry about them and we can get drunk in the ways of this world. I'd better pound out more overtime. I'd better quit going to church so I can work more overtime. I gotta get on top of that roof and start nailing things down. I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta, gotta. and we're drunk on the ways of the world. Now what happens when you drink a lot? You continue drinking well after you're drunk. The next day you wake up with a lot of regret. That's a hangover and it's too late. The pounding headache, oh, be quiet, my head. And you're, and the only thing you can do, now you regret drinking too much. The only thing you can do now is let your body process all that toxin. And sometimes it takes more than a day. What Jesus is saying is, if we've gotten drunk on the ways of this world, when he returns, we'll regret it, but it'll be too late. We'll have to suffer through the eternity of hell. It's a warning to us Christians. Because it's easy, the things are falling apart, and it's easy for us to cut the word of God, the assurance, the promises of God that last forever, so that we can wrap ourselves in the ways of this world and get drunk. And he says, don't let that happen. And he continues, and so that that Sunday doesn't overtake you guys. In fact, like a trap, it will come by surprise upon all those who keep on. We translate it as dwelling, but the Greek verb used there is, keep on sitting around upon the face of the earth. Met people like that? The cares of the world have overcome. This is a description of depression, brothers and sisters in Christ. A very strong medical grade depression. Just sitting there unable to do anything but wallow. In the Old Testament, when people, when you lost a loved one, you put on sackcloth and you put ash on your head and you sat there and you wallowed in sorrow. This is a description of those who are wallowing in the ways of this world because they're hung over. They've drank too deeply from it. They've forgotten the promises of God. But he says to you, yet keep on staying alert in every season while continue in pleading prayer that you may be enabled to escape all these events which are going to happen and so that you may be enabled to stand before the Son of Man. It takes a miracle, brothers and sisters in Christ, not to get drunk on the ways of this world. It's our natural sinful condition. So how do we stay ever vigilant? We stay in the Word. He says by pleading prayer. That prayer says, Lord, don't let me fall from my faith. And the Lord is happy to answer that prayer. He's answered that prayer for you now because you're here hearing the word of God. And that keeps you strong and prepared. And we need that to be able to stand before the Son of Man because to stand before God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to stand before Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, you have to be perfectly righteous. Well, I'm boned because I'm a, per I'm a pretty lousy sinner, brothers and sisters in Christ, and so are you. But by the faith He's given you, which you feed by being in the Word, which God draws you to the Word, that faith assures you of those promises, that Word that's going to stand forever. I've given you faith in Myself, Jesus says. And so you wear My righteousness. And now you can stand before Him. You have My blood, which washes your, sons, your sins away. This is the warning for Christians. We can get worried about the things of this world and stay away from the Word of God. And then we'll drive the Holy Spirit out of our heart and we won't be able to stand before Jesus on that last day. But here, you as a believer can also see this as God's promise. His word stands forever. I'm keeping you in my word. You know that I took on your human flesh to redeem you. Have no worry about standing before me. So long as you're in my word, I will keep you in your faith and you wear my righteousness and my forgiveness. So we'll see that most will sulk over this dying world. They'll dwell around in a depression. But believers are watching for their king just as you are every time you hear the word and know those are God's eternal promises for you.
Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's Advent. We kick off that season. Like somebody seeing Casper Mountain and Muddy Mountain from a distance, it, it seems to be so far away to Old Testament believers. You and I know the birth of our Savior separate from His final return as King, but He is born the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we see that, our, that the advent of our King is not shaking like a leaf on a tree, but rejoicing in the budding spring. The things that terrify unbelievers are signs for believers that Christ is coming. There will be terrors right up until the end, but God's word, His promises to you remain forever. So while most are sulking over this dying world, you, a believer, are watching with eager anticipation for your king. Amen. Now may the Lord strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ returns with all his saints. Amen.